The reading is from Luke chapter 18 and can be found on page 1052 of the Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, um, shall we, um, before we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that we are able to come together as your people. And we pray now as we come uh, before your word uh, that we would come with humble hearts that are ready uh, to learn and be reminded of the kind of people uh, that you accept and welcome into your kingdom and family. We pray, Father, that uh, we would listen to what you have to say as opposed to what the world uh, would teach us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, it's hard to be humble when you are as great as I am. If you'd uh, won 56 of your 61 professional boxing fights, knocking 37 of your opponents completely out, uh, maybe you might say something similar to Muhammad Ali, arguably the greatest sportsman the world has ever seen. And if he was still around, who would argue uh, with him? The man did have uh, an incredible record, uh, and you'll know he died earlier this year. And whether you uh, like or even agree with boxing, it's a pretty impressive CV, isn't it? Ali was great, a great boxer, uh, a massive personality. Uh, You can go on YouTube and you'll soon find out he's a pretty eloquent speaker, uh, a good poet, and very influential in American politics as well. One thing he wasn't, though, was humble. Let me read you some other things that he said about himself. I'm the most recognised and loved man that ever lived because there weren't no satellites when Jesus and Moses were around so people far away in the villages didn't know about them. He said, I'm not the greatest. It's a good start, isn't it? I'm the double greatest. (laughs) I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Look on the internet. There's so many great quotes from Ali. He overflowed uh, with confidence and he belittled all the other boxers that he fought with. He had a massive ego uh, and he completely trusted in his own ability to get to his destiny. Humility, though, was not a virtue that he had or that he thought very highly of. He said this, humble people, I found, don't get 
very far. Humble people, I found, don't get very far. Now maybe he said that because he actually did pretty well for himself. Or maybe he just uh, looked around at this dog-eat-dog world that we live in, where often it seems, doesn't it, that it is the self-confident people, the people who believe in themselves, who seem to do so well. We certainly live in a culture that believes uh, we've got to be self-confident and we've got to trust ourselves. Otherwise, we just won't get anywhere in life. Some of you will know uh, a song by a band called The Script, uh, which sums up the way our world celebrates self-confidence uh, really quite well. Uh, if you're a teenager and know it, you can do the ooh bits in your head. But it goes like this. You could be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You could beat the world. You could beat the war. You could talk to God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself. And you can find yourself standing in the hall of fame. <laughs> and the world's going to know your name. Because you, you burn with the brightest flame. And the world's going to know your name. And you'll be on the walls of the Hall of Fame. Later on in the song, it even says this. You could go the distance. You could run the mile. You could walk straight through hell with a smile. It oozes uh, with self-confidence and self-trust. Even when it comes to facing God and his judgment. It suggests, doesn't it, you can be so confident in yourself in your dedication, that any prospect of hell, God's fury and wrath, doesn't even need to worry at you. You can just smile at it. Well, we come to this um, passage in Luke 18. If you've closed it, do open it back up again. Because there's an incredibly strong sting for anybody who thinks that it is wise to approach God, trusting confidently in themselves. Did you spot in verse Nine, right at the start of the parable, Jesus uh, was aiming this parable that Ruth read to us precisely at people who were confident in their own righteousness, their own goodness before God. It says to hunt some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. These were uh, people like Muhammad Ali, but not uh, to do with boxing uh, spiritually. These people uh, were spiritual snobs. They thought their religious CV was not just better than everybody else's, but if they handed it in to God, he'd be well impressed. But there's a really big surprise. I'm sure you've seen it. Many of you will know how this parable goes. But we're going to see that God is far more concerned with our attitude before him than our achievements, or maybe even our failures. It is, in fact, at the end, isn't it, the humble person not the self-confident person who gets far with God. So look back at the parable with me. It's only short, and I'll read it again. If you've heard this parable many times before, try and look at it afresh again as we read it. It's the end of verse 9. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, when Ruth uh, read that out, I wonder if you were expecting that next verse. Some of you will have done because you've read it many times. That next verse that says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. If you were hearing that uh, for the first time, I hope it would have come as a real shock to you. Maybe to some of you uh, it did. Just imagine you were around. You'd been uh, around there uh, on the morning that these two guys had been going up to the temple. Uh, You'd watched them both walking up to pray. You knew both of them. You'd seen them around. You see the Pharisee walk past first. He's dressed very well. Uh, You know he's a well-respected Jewish religious leader. He's on the inner circle of temple life. He came out of the triangle room in the temple just before the service. Uh, He would have been an incredibly religious-looking man. And uh, we saw a little bit of how he likes to keep the rules, even some of his own. And then you've got the second man, this tax collector. He was a corrupt fraudster. He took more money from people than he should. He'd make the MPs uh, in this country uh, look like saints. And as they walked up to the temple... Which one of them would you think would walk out later on in the morning after tea and coffee uh, in good standing with God? The well-dressed, religiously dedicated, educated leader with his spiritual CV in his hand? Or this dishonest, money-laundering fraudster who cheated hundreds, maybe thousands of families from what they were rightly due? And I wonder what you think most of your friends out in the world would think would walk out in the right with God. I'm not sure many of us would really think it would be that tax collector. Well, look closely at this parable because Jesus focuses on what happens inside the temple when they come before God. He looks at their attitude, not their outward appearance, their history or their CV. Have a look at the Pharisee. Uh, Firstly, did you notice we're told he isolates himself from everybody else? There's a little clue in verse 13 uh, that tells us that the tax collector was stood at a distance, which presumably means the Pharisee was standing right at the front of the temple, closer to perhaps the Holy of Holies where God symbolically dwelt. He was pretty confident that he could come before God. And he put himself on a spiritual pedestal. He was much more worthy than anybody else there. So he didn't stand with them. The reason, though, for his confidence, did you notice it, is found in what he says. And this is the second thing. He, he doesn't compare himself with the righteous, perfect standards of God. He compares himself with the other people in the room. And he looks down on them, particularly the tax collector, And because he doesn't look at God's perfect law, he doesn't see that he falls short. Instead, he thinks he's better than everybody else. Did you notice that? He clearly thinks he's better than everybody else. It's the Olympics, isn't it? You might like to think of the Pharisees' attitude a little bit like the high jump competition. Uh, Rather than look at the bar that God sets for us, his perfect bar, 
the Pharisee has set up his own moral bar. And he makes up his own morality. And he judges everybody on whether they can jump that one. Rather than what God has said. And that's what proud people who ignore God do. They ignore his standard. And they judge everybody else on their own. Now this Pharisee, he jumps over his own moral bar that he's set up. And then he looks around and sees everybody else failing, that, failing his standards. And he says, well, thank God I'm not like those people. Aren't they awful? Isn't their commitment to church terrible? I can't believe that they do that and they're even here this morning. You can almost see the scorn in his eyes, can't you, as he looks over at that scumbag tax collector across the room. Not sure why he's got his eyes open looking at other people while he's praying, though. Thirdly, verse 12. He's trusting his good works, isn't he? He presents his CV, if you like, to God, trusting it will impress God. Look at how high I've jumped, God. Much higher than those people over there. I give this. I do that. They don't. Compared to them, can't you see how good I am? Can you see how self-confident this guy is? And it's all because he's built his own uh, morality. That's the first guy. Then at the back of the temple, shying away from the crowds, perhaps a little bit awkward in the background, crept in after the first song. You've got the tax collector, haven't you? And his attitude is really quite different. We've already said he's stood at a distance. He's a bit uncomfortable. He feels a bit unworthy even coming into the temple, let alone getting close to the Holy of Holies. In fact, when he prays, he can't even look up to heaven. It's a sign of uh, the pressing guilt he felt. I don't know if you've ever, uh, when you've wronged somebody uh, and you find it quite awkward to look them in the eye because you know that you're in the wrong. My dog does that to me all the time. (laughs) That's what this tax collector is like before God. He beats his breast, um, his chest. In the Bible, that's a, a physical way in which someone would show sorrow about their sin and their guilt before God. The tax collector, he doesn't look around at anybody else. He doesn't even try claiming any kind of spiritual brownie points, does he? He stands there underneath God's bar of righteousness, looking up, and he knows full well his life falls well short of God's perfect standards. And all he can muster is a humble, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, there are two uh, quick things that we need to notice about this prayer. Firstly, he asks for mercy. Now, mercy, mercy simply means not getting something that you do deserve. In this case, judgment. This man knows he has sinned. He knows he deserves God to punish, punish him for all that he's done. He doesn't even ask for God's gift of grace. Do you notice that? He just asks for mercy. There's nothing he can offer, nothing he can say, no excuses, uh, nothing he tries to twist God's arm. He's just humble. And he knows he deserves 
Nothing from God other than punishment. And that's because this man refers to himself as a sinner. That's the next, the second thing. Now often when people come uh, to God, they come thinking they are quite a good person who's got some things wrong. Or they're a fairly moral person who's made a few little mistakes. I'd quite like to think that about myself. But by calling himself a, a sinner, he's admitting that there's a fundamental problem with him in his heart. He's admitting that deep down, he is in rebellion to God. He knows that even his best efforts are marred with self-centred motivations. Don't you find that? Even when you do an honourable or or quite good thing, uh, there's something inside of you that still wants some recognition or some thanks or maybe even some payback. This tax collector realises in a very real way Uh, that not only are his actions wrong, but he is wrong. His heart is self-focused, it's self-serving, it's bent in on himself. It's not towards God and other people, above all other things. And so he realises he can't trust himself and his CV. The only thing he can do is ask God for his mercy Two very uh, different people. Perhaps you can imagine what they might look like if they were in St. Mary's. Now the sting uh, in this parable is that it's this guy, this tax collector, uh, this scumbag. He's the one who goes home in the right with God. He gets in his car and he drives off down Goat Lane in the right with God. And the other guy doesn't. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a really simple little story. And the point for us is this. God humbles the self-righteous, and he justifies the humble. It's the humble tax collector, not the proud Pharisee, who goes home in the right with God. Now there's a real warning for us uh, as we come to this uh, passage. If we're coming to God before, so if we're coming before God trusting in ourselves, if we trust in our church attendance or our cipher attendance, or our generous financial giving, or our good behaviour at school, for some of you, Uh, our serving at church, all those roaches that we're on, Uh, our faithfulness in our quiet times. We haven't missed one for, well, at least a week. Or our knowledge of the Bible. Some people have no idea about what it says in Ezekiel, but I know what it means and what it says in that, that chapter. If we trust those things, our goodness, our efforts... Well, do you see which one of those two people we're more like? And as Christians, we can really easily slip into thinking that our relationship with God is based on how good or bad uh, my week or my day has been. Uh, Or we base it, uh, perhaps as a few of you, if you've got back from camp uh, yesterday, you might well be feeling really quite excited uh, about being a Christian. I hope you are. 
But do you know what's going to happen in a few weeks' time? You're going to go back to school and college, and I bet you won't feel anywhere near as excited when you're the only one in your class. And maybe when the excitement's gone, you think, I just don't feel like I felt on camp. Maybe my relationship with God is, isn't right. Do you see? You're trusting your feelings. You're trusting yourself. Well, when those things are the case, we're not trusting God, are we? We think in and of ourselves we're spiritually healthy. But Jesus teaches us elsewhere in Luke, we're sick sinners who need a doctor. We need Jesus to die on the cross to rescue us. And if we trust ourselves, we're basically saying we don't need the cross. We don't need Jesus. We don't need Christianity. Now, all those things I mentioned, they're pretty good things, but we mustn't trust them. Interesting thing about this parable, though, I don't know if you noticed it. Those people who trust themselves spend quite a lot of time comparing themselves to other people and judging them. I don't know if you ever find yourself looking across a church, maybe you're in a team uh, in church, uh, maybe you're part of a group, or you're just sat in the congregation sometimes, and you find yourself gazing over at somebody, and you begin to compare yourself with them. Compared to them, your language is a lot cleaner, your church attendance is more regular, your commitment is much more wholehearted, uh, your giving is much more generous, although I don't know how you know that. Those things that might be true. But if you think those things somehow put you more right with God, well, you've slipped into being like this Pharisee. You see, you might be all of those things, but you still fall short, like I do, of God's bar of righteousness. And you know what? It works the other way too. If you look around and you see others and you think that they're better than you, people have got a better spiritual CV, well, you're also not trusting in God, are you? You're trusting in yourself. You're going, oh, I've failed too much. Maybe I need to do better. You're not recognising that you actually need God's mercy. You're trying to do it yourself. And it's only going to be pride in yourself, a kind of alley mentality, that stops you from being humble. You just think you're too great. We need to listen to that warning that God humbles the self-righteous. If you look through uh, the rest of Luke's Gospel, we don't have time, uh, but here's a little challenge if you're a student or a teenager and you're struggling to know what to do with your life because you're not at school. Uh, why don't you read through the whole of Mark, uh, Mark? Read through Mark's Gospel as well, but particularly Luke's Gospel, um, and you'll see how many self-righteous people Jesus comes across and some humble people. Just go through and see which ones are the ones that get furthest with God. It's never the self-righteous people. It is always the humble people. Now Luke, he wrote his gospel because he wanted us to be certain. If you flicked back to chapter 1 verse 4, you don't need to now. But he tells us that the reason he wrote this whole gospel is so that we would have certainty and confidence He wants us, though, to have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the mercy of the Lord Jesus towards humble people. And the twist in this tale 
is that with God, it's those who are broken and humble who can go away confident. Not those who are confident in themselves and are proud. It's the humble sinner who's justified. Now, I just want to pause on that word justified for a moment. Because in the Bible, uh, that word doesn't just mean that you are forgiven or cleared of your sin. It means you've been been given a completely new status before God. You are declared legally righteous before God. You are viewed by God just as if you've never sinned and just as if you have always obeyed. I've always found it helpful to think of it like this, that when God looks at you, he looks at you through Jesus' goggles. And all he sees is the righteousness and holiness of the Lord Jesus. Now that is the wonderful news of the Christian faith that comes through the death of the Lord Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now when I was uh, a teenager, I seem to remember an illustration of what happened at the cross goes something like this. Uh, And if you excuse me for using the Bible as sin, um, it goes like this. Basically, here's you. And here's sin, and it separates you uh, from a relationship with God. And here is Jesus, and he took your sin on the cross, so you can have a relationship with God. You ever heard, seen that illustration like that before? Now, I quite like that illustration, until the next day when I... Dropped my Bible. Until um, the next day when I sinned, and there was a problem between me and God. So I asked Jesus again to forgive me, and the sin went back. And then Monday came, in fact, probably Sunday about one o'clock. But, and I kept going like this for quite a long time, until somebody explained it much better. Here's my sin, and here's Jesus in his righteousness. And when I humbly come to him and ask for forgiveness, Jesus takes my sin on himself and he gives me his righteousness. And so when I sin on Monday morning, I have Jesus' righteousness and he's taken all of my sin. Now understanding that one verse in 2 Corinthians like that totally transformed how I lived life as a Christian because I had confidence Uh, that stayed. Isn't that wonderful news? That anybody who's humble enough to recognise their sin and their need for the Lord Jesus, dying for them on the cross, is justified. Legally declared righteous with God, something that cannot be taken away. So as we close this evening. Let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. The first one is this. Where does your confidence lie uh, before God? Are you like Muhammad Ali and the script and the Pharisee in the story? Is your confidence uh, in yourself, your abilities, your spiritual CV, your religiousness, all those things? Uh, Are you comparing yourself to other people all the time? That's a bad sign. Are you building your confidence before God based on your own morality that you've made up? rather than what God said in the Bible. 
Because if you are, your confidence is in yourself. And look at the outcome of this passage. It shows you that you should have no confidence. It says, God will humble you. He will return. And those who have not realised they need his mercy will be punished. They will not be able to face his judgment and face hell with a smile. So this evening, why not get real about what you're really like? Stop pretending that you're better than what you are. Because you might fool everybody else, but you won't fool God. Why not take uh, that false confidence that you've got and place it solely on the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for you? However you walked into church this evening, however good or bad uh, your week's been, however good or bad your life's been, you can walk out justified and utterly confident about your eternity. Or does your confidence lie like this humble tax collector who realises he has no confidence in himself at all? You know your sin very well. And you can only cry out for the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus who became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. If that is you, well, rejoice and be so incredibly thankful for God's mercy to you and continue to be humble before him. And as you do, you can be incredibly confident about the future. Where does your confidence lie before God? Second question, though. As you go through uh, your life, as you live out your Christian life, Whose words are you going to trust? Muhammad Ali, who said, humble people don't get very far. Or are you going to trust the words of Jesus Christ? He defeated every enemy he ever came up against, even death. He is not dead. He is living and reigning. And one day he is going to come back and judge this world. He said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this parable. We thank you for how it challenges um, our attitudes and our hearts towards you. We pray that you would forgive us for those times where we do become proud and trust in ourselves rather than the Lord Jesus. Would you help us to recognise our sin and need for your mercy? Would we know that it is good to be humble before you? And we would, would we know that you are merciful and kind to those who are humble? And that through the Lord Jesus... You can make us righteous. You give us your righteousness. So we may have utter confidence as we face your judgment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.